Welcome to Living the Dream Outdoors, the official podcast of Living the Dream Outdoor Properties. We live by the motto, it's not just land, it's a lifestyle. And we live the outdoor lifestyle every day. Whether you're a landowner or dreaming of joining the ranks of those closest to the earth, we're your brothers and sisters of the outdoors. We hunt, we fish, we're stewards of the land, and our Living the Dream team will show you the way to enjoying the land and all the outdoor pursuits it has to offer. Here's your host, Bill Cooper. Welcome to Living the Dream Outdoor Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Cooper. And I'm Hunter Heinemann. Hey, Hunter. Did you get those food plots done? I did. <laughs> I did get them done. Last podcast, we were, hey, I think you were, actually, we canceled a day or two. I think we recording. did. Yeah, I think we did. You, you, you were working on the podcast, and that's that's one of the few reasons I could think to let you off the hook, you know. Working on the food plots, yeah. Working on the food plots. How many acres did you put in? I did uh, about eight total. Eight acres. Boy, that's a lot of food plots. Mm-hmm. You should be sucking the wildlife in big time. <laughs> did you disc everything up or just strips through clover? Or... Yeah, so I uh, I sprayed it and then um, let the grass die for about a week. And then um, I thought it was good enough. And then we got a real big rain over last weekend. So I went ahead and uh, just decided to disc it up a couple of days earlier than I normally would have. But since the ground was so saturated and wet, it just <clears throat> dissed right up real easy for me. And then I uh, I went ahead and planted uh, Whitetail Institute um, beets and greens and then uh, vision, which is clover, chicory, and kale. Oh, you're going to have a smorgasbord out there. Yep. And then I did do a small strip of uh, winter wheat like right behind the house and oh, i love winter, winter wheat yep. they get on it pretty quick you probably planted it is this your first year to plant there at the place no this is my third year third year okay so you've got deer used to it they'll be showing up as soon as it starts coming out of the ground sweet thing is you got a lot of moisture there in the ground so you're in mm-hmm. you're in great shape so, yeah it, uh it had rained i think the day before or early that morning and then actually in the middle of the day at like 10 o'clock is when I decided to start working on it and uh I think it rained early that morning and I thought it would be good to disc it up it wasn't too wet that I'd get stuck or anything but um and then uh after I got it on the ground it pretty much downpoured that night and then the next morning too so Okay, so you got good soil contact with the seed, then you're yeah you're set. That that one of wheat will come up in less than a week. Yeah, no, I actually it, I could see some of them already pushing up, getting a little uh, root and germinating already. Yeah. Wow, uh, that that's fun to watch too, man. Yep. Oh, have you had your bow out yet, Praxin? <laughs> I really haven't. Um, I'm getting ready to do a antelope hunting trip at the end of September. So right now I'm kind of getting more dialed in on making sure my rifle's good. So I went last weekend and uh, I'm going to go again this coming weekend and uh, go ahead and shoot and see if I can't get that dialed in and have a range out to 500 yards um, over at the main farm in Cherryville. And uh, pretty much 
just shoot at the metal targets and uh, you know they're they're not very big so if i hit them i know i'm i'm pretty good, good. Uh, <laughs> well and on low punting uh you do get some long range shot with mm-hmm. that sport uh that's something i haven't done yet that's on a bucket list you know yep. one of yep. these days i've eaten antelope very mm-hmm. good is it yes i've never had it never tried it well it's just a goat you know yeah <laughs> but yeah i'm bringing my uh my 257 weatherby for that one so are that you should be good yeah uh, flat shooting rifle that's what everybody says it said like that's that's one of the biggest go-to guns for antelope hunting and if you're hunting big country like wyoming far long range shots it's very fast shooting bullet um it's a 25 caliber bullet and then the casing i guess is like a 30 caliber casing um so it's got a lot of powder back behind Behind a smaller bullet um but uh yeah it's it's pretty flat shooting um which i'm i'm used to my 300 weatherby which has a little bit more drop at range so right kind of nice um but it's still got heck of heck of a lot of knockdown power behind it so <laughs> well i killed a lot of deer with a 25 volt six and i kind of went mm-hmm. to that after i got a little older and had a arm surgery not near as much kick pretty flat shooting rifle as well yep like the biggest buck i killed uh, on a dead run with one of them yeah nice yeah yeah hit him right behind the right front shoulder and came out kind of the base of his neck he's running across a wide open cut soybean field real dry it it just shocked me. In fact, it wasn't even my rifle. It was funny the way that happened. Somebody had seen this big buck, and we went, I don't know, two or three, two pickup loads of us. I think this was like a 1,000-acre soybean field and had like five acres of brush right in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. So we just put guys out around this brush pile, scattered out, and a couple guys walked through it, and here come this big buck. He hadn't, hadn't come out my side. And uh, put the lead on him. I squeezed that trigger. That rifle just went end over end. <laughs> I've never had a deer do that. Oh, man, that little gun's a cannon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but down and out with one shot was a great, great, uh, great hunt. A lot of good memories. Well, I'm kind of envious you're going to Wyoming to antelope hunt. Yeah. Now that's at the very last weekend of September. And I think it's just a three day hunt, but. Five days total, probably, with driving, maybe six. Oh, yeah, that's that's a good drive out there. You have to go through Kansas, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, not so I'd much. I'd go west more often, but it wasn't for Kansas. Yeah, we are we are going to drive, um, and we're going to carpool. And it's me, my dad, and uh, two of my really good buddies going. So um, uh, that should be a fun trip. Gonna, hey, I'll bet there'll be a little competition Who's going to hold the money on the bets? I can do that back at home, you know. <laughs> I don't know. Probably nobody that's there should be holding the money. <laughs> Start playing tricks on each other. Oh, yeah, but that's part of the fun, man, part of the great camaraderie. Well, lots of things going on. We're getting down, you know, into the exciting part of the year for outdoorsmen. Uh, September 1st, boys, dove season, and usually right in the first week there's teal season. And mm-hmm. I was I was doing a little clay shooting over the weekend. You know, I go to a little country church here, and we do a what we call a diaper shoot every so, so often. We're not shooting diapers, but you know, some of them young gals having babies. We have to, <laughs> the, the ladies of the church have a well, they call them baby showers, and bring them all kinds of gifts. Well, the guys because we have a big meal too, and the guys got to have something to do. So we usually have a a clay shoot, little competitive thing, and the trophies they give are diapers. <laughs> you hate it when you get a brown one. 
Oh. <laughs> I think that's third place. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it, it is a tremendous amount of fun. But we had an unusual happening with this last one. The pastor had announced it a couple of weeks ago. My wife raises her hand. I oh, what's this all about? You know, and he acknowledges her. She said, well, can, can the lady shoot too? You should see the look on his face. He's a big husky boy outdoors. But, you know, this was kind of a macho men's thing, you know. But, hey. These days, you, you can't tell a lady she can't do something, you know. Yep. So they agreed. I'm sitting there shaking my head. One of the other guys in the congregation said, hey, Bill Cooper's shaking his head no. And they wanted to know why I was shaking my head no. I said, she'll beat us all. You just wait and see. She <laughs> will beat us all. That's exactly what happened. <laughs> was, it a, was it more trap or skeet? It was trap. Uh, we'd set up. Uh, there was two people on a, on a team, but Diane carried her team. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she, in fact, I had her beat down to like last two rounds. I missed my last four shots. I think the pressure got to me, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, they would put out two uh, clays. One was in the air and the other one was a rabbit, you know, which. Oh, okay. Very hard to hit. Yeah, it is. That was bouncing my bouncing da- all over That the was place. my downfall. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the rabbit got me, man. But uh, I had a little dis- disappointment going on there. I've shot. I've, of course, got several guns, several shotguns, but I, I got an old Stoger semi-automatic that I've used probably for 25 years. Really? And the gun has never failed me, never jammed. They got the inertia system, you know, mm-hmm. and I love that gun. But it failed me this time. I wouldn't kick out the shells, and I looked at it. It was dirty. I didn't. <laughs> I, I didn't <laughs> Operator air. Yeah, I guess I didn't clean it, you know, last yeah. fall when I put it up. But I've used that. I've killed ducks. Geese with that, quail. Yep. I shoot turkeys. A, I shoot a twelve gauge Franchi semi-auto, and or Franchi, however you say it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Benelli made Italian shotgun, but it's it's my one of my favorite. Uh, but Benelli, you go buy Benelli. It's more expensive, and right. the Franchi is like half. Yeah, that price of what those are, and well, Stoker's much the made same. by Manelli too. It's just yep. it's the cheapest grade gun they make, but boy, are they ever hardy. Yeah. In fact, I was I was sitting on a stool in my garage taking that thing apart and cleaning it just before it came, came over here. And so uh, I uh, I got it apart and got it all cleaned. Yep, got to keep working on it. I got to have that thing for dove season. That's coming up. Yes, it is. Yeah, in I, about uh, three weeks. I use. I used to use my that twelve gauge semi, and uh, as many shots as you take out in the field, I just decided to start using my over and under Franchi twenty gauge, and uh, I put some pretty good shots on a lot of birds last year. So um, that's kind of my go to. It's it's a little bit more relaxing, and you can throw it right up on your shoulder. It is so lightweight, and you don't have to worry about it getting jammed. It's just you know, over and under, and you pull the trigger twice, and it's going to fire. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and honestly, most time you don't really need that third shot, anyways, because shoot Speak twice, they're usually too far. <laughs> well, if you got a twelve gauge, and you then you can reach out sometimes and get That's that right. third one if you miss the first two. But sometimes you get a big old swarm of them, and you don't even know which way to aim and. That's yeah. when it's real fun. Oh, over it, it is. Soybeans, wheat fields, or sunflower fields. You know, if you got all three with some gravel and water around, you're going to do probably hey, pretty perfect, good. Perfect, perfect, man. And I forgot to mention during our clay shoot, Diane was shooting a 28 gauge over and under 
rest of us were shooting 12s and mm-hmm. 20s. Really? Yeah, and she outshot us with that. Take her dove hunting, man. She'll embarrass you. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's easy to get embarrassed while you're dove hunting because if they want down and in a spot, all of a sudden they'll be flying over and then they just dive bomb you and do all kinds of crazy kamikaze stuff. I thought they could cut some dinos, especially if they've been shot at a few times. Did you ever see a dove fly over and didn't have any tail feathers? Yeah, I've seen my dad shoot a lot of tail, tail feathers off of them before. <laughs> yeah, tell them, you got, got to swing through those things, you know, and keep keep swinging to keep up with them. But, that, you know, that's the most popular game bird in the United States. More people get out to dove hunt than anything else. Yeah. And, hey, ammunition manufacturers love dove season. You know how many shots it takes, on average, across the country, for a shooter to down a dove? One dove. One dove. I'm going to say... Three to four. It's five. Five. <laughs> Maybe you're better than average shot. <laughs> well, it depends on the day, of course. But uh, Oh, it really does. But I would say that, you know, for me, I can probably have seven doves on a good day down 20 shells or 25 shells. That's, that's, that's a good, good. That's a good day. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. I would say it's more like probably a box and a half uh, getting close to that seven, eight, nine of range and then you get <laughs> once i get towards the limit it might end up being three boxes you know oh ab- absolutely it, it seems like <laughs> once you start missing it just kind of snowballs from there the worst dove hunt i ever had down the booty of we had lots of doves and i'd been shooting doves for several years my older brother never been and he was back in town so i decided i'd take big brother and show him how to do it you know well we set up on the corner is this was sandy loamy soil and we set up on a fence corner and those doves would fly down the, those fences, but there was a little pond right out in front of us and had a lot of good clear sand banks that'd come into water. So uh, first dove come in, coming right at me, I dropped that dove, and I was telling Big Brother, that's how it's done. You know? <laughs> Kill one of my first shot. This is the honest truth. That was the only dove I killed in the first box of shells. <laughs> I've done that before, too. But, you know, it's kind of funny, though. Sometimes you... That'll happen, and then all of a sudden on the second one, you just start hitting them, and, you know, you lead them more, do something different. But yeah, I, w- I think for me the biggest thing is ever since I got that 20-gauge, I'm just very comfortable with it. I've I've been sitting in the field before and had to turn around on one, you know, that come in behind me or something. And I've brought that gun up with one hand and shot him before. I have done uh, that, but, too. I had one one time coming straight at me, and I was a little late seeing it. So I not only shoot straight up, I was back to back about, about 2 o'clock. I thought I broke my collarbone. <laughs> I killed the dove, but about killed myself in the process. But, man, what great fun. There's nothing more fun than to get a bunch of guys out to dove hunt. If you got a good feel, that keeps them flying. And uh, just make sure your buddies bring lots of shells, you know. Oh yeah, and they're one of the best best eaten game birds out there. A little bacon around them with some cream cheese or uh, bell pepper, or pepper jack cheese in the middle. Wrap them up, Jalapeno throw them on a peppers black, blackstone. Are not bad either. No. And I, I tell you another thing. I I have done. Uh, I started years ago, and I do this a lot now. Uh, you know, you usually take that whole dove breast and, like, I say, wrap bacon around it, doctor it up, and throw it on mm-hmm. the grill or whatever. I got in the habit of just taking a big. Uh, like a tablespoon and scooping the half breasts out no bone in that and you know it's a real dark meat and that's because of strong pliers and a lot of people don't like that dark meat 
take those dove halves and throw them in some beer for just a couple of hours, and there's they turn out as white as that sheet of paper. It really sucks yep. the blood out of them. Mm-hmm. And I've taken them, rolled them in flour and seasoning, just throw them in hot grease, and they do taste different. There's a much lighter flavor huh. to them. So if you don't like the strong taste of dove, uh, try that, and I'll guarantee you'll like them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Hey, what's the worst shot for you on doves? The one you hate I the think, most. I think going uh... – I can hit actually the one straight up. I can hit pretty good, um, but I think from if they're flying right to left, oh. I I like going left to right. Well, yeah, I yeah. don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I'll let you know after the season because I can't remember after the opener. <laughs> well, I hate that shot where they're coming straight at you because that's a hard angle to. They're hard to see too. Yeah, yeah, they're not very wide, so they're hard hard to see and getting that right shot angle because you got to get out in front of them. Mm-hmm. I usually wind up shooting behind them. Low, Most of the time, if you miss, you're behind. <laughs> yep, low and outside, kind of like a baseball. You yep, know. Yep. Hey, we're going to take a short break here, folks, but don't go away. We've got some more great information coming right here on Living the Dream Outdoors podcast. Hi, I'm Steve Stoltz with Drury Outdoors, and you're listening to Living the Dream Outdoors podcast with Phil Cooper and Hunter Heineman. Slow down and enjoy the simple things in life. Welcome to Huzal Valley Resort, providing family fun since 1979. They offer floating, and you can choose from canoes, rafts, kayaks, and inner tubes on the beautiful, crystal clear Huzal River. Lodging, let us be your home away from home. Choose from a variety of lodging units while still enjoying the great outdoors. With over two and a half miles of river camping on the crystal clear Huzal, we're sure you and your family will find the perfect spot to pitch your tent or park your RV. Have fun and let us help you get the most of your stay. Check out our guided trail rides and Karen's Cafe menu. There's something for everyone at Huzal. There's a campground store on site that has everything you need for your trip. Whether you're in need of gear, grub, or something else, chances are they've got it. And their campground has RV sites and primitive sites for all your camping needs. If you like the adventures of camping with a cozy bed at night, we have a variety of different lodging units to choose from. But who's all valley? There's always something going on out there. Check them out on Facebook, or if you want to make a reservation, simply call 1 800 367 4516. Hi, I'm Steve Stoltz with Drury Outdoors, original team member and cast member of Gearcast. And I'm going over some tips on taking inventory early season, midsummer for whitetails, which is what I am actually doing actively right now. Um, I put out the mineral licks throughout the farm. I, I want to just say this. This is the biggest take-home point. The more cameras, the more eye you put out, the better inventory you're going to get. Big, giant whitetails don't move that far. They literally will not move that far. In fact, what I found up here in corn bean country, I'm here in southern Iowa, is a lot of times they'll bed in standing corn within feet of, say, a bean field and come out of the standing corn to feed in the beans. They'll feed in the corn as well, of course, but they just won't travel. Uh, they're, they're lazy. They're, I mean, they're, they're building up uh, their, their uh, antler growth is sapping their body for nutrients, and so they travel less and eat more. So the more cameras you can put out, 
And here in southern Iowa, we can put out mineral licks. In some states, you cannot. But uh, the, the number of cameras you put out will affect inventory is and put them out and leave those cameras out don't intrusion even in the summer is something you don't want to do you don't want to keep going in every night or every week even let those cam put a high high memory card in that camera and let those cameras run for weeks and weeks and get your mri that way uh, middle summer is the best time to take your inventory so get out there Buy extra camera. I know it's a little, but uh, I personally use Reconyx. I did it's just the best trail camera that I, you know, and that's what we use for outdoors. Get a lot of cameras, no matter what brand you buy, and put them out in uh, feed areas in particular. Uh, let them come out to your spot, uh, whether you're using a mineral lick or a feeder, or if it's legal, or if you're just putting it in an area between say the woods and the fields uh and it's a lot of deer signing you're hanging cameras in those type of spots trails um things like that let them come out don't don't go into timber to the deer let the deer come out and feed and get the pictures there less intrusion and you can check your cameras on the right wind without the wind blowing into the feeding or in the, the standing corn if you're in corn country uh where they come out to feed so intrusion, a lot of cameras, a good idea of what bucks that you'll be able to hunt for that fall during the middle summer. Hi folks, it's Aaron Jeffries with the Missouri Department of Conservation with a little habitat hint here. Uh, no surprise, uh, we are in the middle of a pretty severe drought across most of mid-Missouri. Uh, would encourage folks to take a look at diversifying their grazing systems. Uh, right now, the department, NRCS, and other partners do have cost share available for the establishment of native form season grasses for grazing and hay purposes. What a great program, what a wonderful way of diversifying your grazing system and actually having a drought-tolerant, productive grass in the months of June, July, and August. If you're looking for more information, would encourage you to go to the Missouri Department of Conservation's website at mdc.mo.gov. And in the upper right-hand corner is Contacts. Go to your county and find your private land conservationist for your county uh, to set up a meeting to look at ways that you can improve your property, not only for wildlife, but also forage production for your cattle. Hey, everybody, this is Alex Rutledge with American Roots Outdoors. Check out my buddy's podcast show, Living the Dream Outdoors with Bill Cooper and Hunter Hindman. You're really going to enjoy this week's show. Welcome back to Living the Dream Outdoor podcast in that first segment. Hunter Hyman and I talked about a number of subjects. We're just eat up with food plots. We've been talking about that for weeks and weeks and weeks, and so is everybody else. So we're not the only ones. But Hunter's in great shape. Got his in. He just 
waiting for the deer to show up and for deer season to get here. But hunter, man, there's a lot of, we talked about, you know, dove season coming, teal season coming, then it's bow season, then it's rifle season, then it's duck season <laughs> and goose season and snipe season and on and on and on. You can even hunt raccoons if you want to. Yeah. Encourage that. They're turkey, turkey killers. Destroy a lot of nests. But, you know, there's a lot of other great things going on in nature out there. Have you eaten any blackberries yet? I haven't, but I've been, you know, just touring other people's uh, clients' properties and stuff. Um, I've been seeing them, you know, starting to come up on some of the bushes, but they're not ripe all the way yet. But um, Well, I don't know. Just this last <laughs> Sunday, I had some blackberry cobbler at church that yeah. somebody made, you know. They didn't make near enough of it, I can tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> but it was certainly good. Here's one you'll be interested in. You know, copperheads are starting to be born. They're a poisonous snake. Mm-hmm. So live, live born, and they, they will actually be produced between now and end of October. I always like to tell the story. I was cutting wood one October. Had a tree down, been down for a couple of years, just laying on a limb. I'm blocking it up. It started getting hollow. Dropped the block and there laid a huge copperhead. I could tell she, I mean, right by my hand, I, was, I could tell she was ready to have young ones. She had 13 young ones. In wow. Her. Yeah, yeah. So they have a lot of them. But uh, fox kittens, see the young foxes recently? I, no, I haven't. No. I see them out once in a while, but the kittens are starting to go out on their own now. Mm-hmm. So hopefully mama t- taught them to hunt well, you know. Yeah, I know. I always, you know, heard that. Hay season is a good time to coyote hunt and call in a lot of the young pups because you know they're starting to get out on their own and uh, two and then and then uh, they're not as wise as mom. Well, and then the hay field got cut, so you know you might chop up a couple mice or <laughs> oh yeah that or, too. And then they're they're out there and they're more vulnerable with it not being grown up. So gotcha. There's Never more more that. food out in the fields for the coyotes too, and then. Plus, you can see them easier to shoot them. <laughs> uh, yeah, you're quite the coyote hunter. It's been a long time since uh, I've killed a coyote. But, hey, uh, I recommend it, you know. Mm-hmm. They eat turkeys, it too. It definitely helps. Yeah, absolutely. They're hard on the deer and turkey population. Both. Here's one near and dear to your, your heart, Hunter. Allergy season really begins. This giant <laughs> ragweed starts to bloom. And, uh, yep. You're feeling it today. Of yep. course, you spent quite a bit of time on that tractor a few days ago, and mm-hmm. that's probably where you picked it up, you know. Hey, young fox and gray squirrels are searching for their own territories now. Hmm. All the young ones, young things are getting kicked out on their own, you know. Tough time in their life, I bet. <laughs> hey, here's one of my favorites, and I watch for it. In fact, I'll go start checking my duck hunting spots pretty soon, but the blue-winged teal start to migrate about the middle uh, of August. Yeah. And, of course, our teal season is usually in that first or second second week. But one thing that uh, it surprised me, a number of duck hunters don't realize, but there's a second migration of, of blue-winged teal later. kind of comes in the regular duck season. And I love hunting blue-winged teal, so I always, yeah. always watch for that second mig- migration as well. Turkey feet seed heads. That's You ever hear it called that? Mm-mm. It's a... Seed heads of big blue stem grass. It, it it's starting to mature. Here's another one near and dear to their heart. Good old whitetails start to, late in the month. Start to rub the velvet off their antlers. Oh yeah. So, yeah. Boy, I just it. saw two young bucks uh, yesterday on on my county road. They were yeah. still in velvet. Oh yeah, but they're gonna start losing it pretty soon. Here's a good. This would be a great tourist attraction. You, you're to lead a group down in southwest Missouri. Very late in the month. 
you can actually see tarantula migrations across the highways. Ugh. Uh, yeah. <laughs> There's lots of them in southwest Missouri. And a writer friend of mine uh, from many years ago, Charlie Farmer, uh, he's gone now, but he actually wrote a story one time about uh, he was driving through southwest Missouri and he almost had a wreck. He came around the corner. There were thousands of tarantulas on the road and so many of them had been squashed by traffic. The road was slick. That is crazy. He almost slid off the highway on tarantula guts. Huh. <laughs> you would never think of I've, such a thing. No, I've never heard that. I didn't even know they were here. <laughs> yeah, there are lots of tarantulas in southwest Missouri. It, it'd be an intriguing thing to to see. Maybe I'll take my grandson down there. You know, my 12-year-old grandson, Ron. Yeah, he might like that. Uh, he, he, I don't know if he'd like it or freak out. You know, <laughs> I, I, I took him on his first overnight camping trip recently we took our kayaks and diane put us in uh, the merrimack river up what we call scott's ford and we did an eight mile float down the old highway now we could do that one day in fact we'd done it the week before just to uh check it out make sure there wasn't any big log jams all that sort of thing and he did flip his kayak in in the course of that that run but uh he, he didn't panic handle it very well so i was pretty proud of him but we took off on this camping trip now this is his first time to camp out overnight Without a tent or a camper, we just slept in the open and stressed yeah. a tarp and uh-huh. uh, tarp over us, and uh, had a pretty nice sycamore tree. Just leaned out, had great limbs to tie it off on, you know, and run a line through the middle. So mm-hmm. we kind of had a peak in it, and uh, lo and behold, the weather app had said everything was good and going to be cleared, and we'd been camped about an hour. And my wife sent us a text, and there's a horrible storm coming your way. <laughs> That's just what we wanted to hear, you know, because all we had was a tarp, and that tarp had a lot of holes in it. <laughs> it right, we were, we were going to get wet. But uh, anyway, Ronnie, uh, I mean, it concerned him. 12-year-old would concern me a little bit. I said, okay, here's, here's what we do. We can't take off paddling out of here now because it'd be in the dark, and if a storm comes up, it's even darker. So we have to ride the storm out. So what do we do? <laughs> First thing we need to do is look for an escape route. And we were on an island yeah. in, in the river. It would have had to get up five feet to get the tip of that island. I couldn't see it raining that much, but still, I said, look look across the river that way. What do you see? Well, I see another gravel bar. What do you see on the other side of the gravel bar? Well, there's a lane, a road there. I said, so somebody obviously lives in that, that direction. Mm-hmm. So if it got bad, we wait across the river, we abandon everything, and we walk out. Said, look the other way. There was just a little bit of the river there, knee-deep kind of a steep bank and some woods. Can you see anything past the woods? Well, it was open, so there was a pasture over there. I said, it's not a mile to a county road that way, so if we have to, we walk that way. We're going to get soaking wet, but we got two escape routes yeah. here. <laughs> so uh, he was a little relieved to uh, know that. I don't think he was looking forward to hiking through the woods or no. anything in a storm. You know? <laughs> but, you know, for a youngster, it's kind of exciting stuff. But uh, I don't think he slept all night long. Uh, I, I take a reclining camp chair just to get back in to sleep very comfortably. And uh, he took a sleeping bag and a sleeping pad, had a real sandy spot, and he stretched it out. <clears throat> and he only stayed on that sand about 10 minutes. And he got up and he said, I'm going to sleep in a chair. Now, he didn't have a reclining chair, just a straight-up camping chair. (laughs) So the poor kid had a long, long night. Night, Yeah. But I think he slept more than he admitted to because he was up uh, before daylight the next morning. (laughs) Still had not rained on us. Didn't rain. Storm missed us. And when I asked Diane where the storm was, you know, when she called us, 
Well, it just it just came into northwest Missouri. Oh, well, darn, that's a long ways off. It'll surely go around <laughs> us or dissipate. Yeah. But we floated all that day, caught some nice smallmouth bass, and uh, didn't see any rain till 2 o'clock the next afternoon, and it was just sprinkled. And then we had to set it to access and fish, and we actually cooked another meal while we was waiting on Grandma to pick us up. So that's, good time. That's cool. That's a, that sounds like a good time. Oh, it was. And it's great for kids. And we're loading up. As soon as I get through this podcast, we're going to load up. We have a pop-up camper. We're going to load it up, and we're going to take off to Council Bluff Lake. Yep. It's about an hour away outside of Viaburnum. And that's a U.S. Forest Service lake. Yeah, that's a, I've been there before. That's a fun one to go to. Um, not a giant, giant lake like Lake of the Ozarks or anything like that, but it's, it's uh, perfect for like what you're doing. And, Absolutely, uh, a day or two trip, and uh, they have camper hookup sites and and everything you would ever want. Really, there it's got oh, a great nice, camping nice ground. facilities, man. Got a nice boat ramp, even got a beach. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. I'll have a sundown when I come back. I'm sure. Yep. And then it's I know the the lake itself from what at least where the area that I was at. I went there with my dad to go fish, and it was uh, in the lake. There was a lot of uh, timber in the water. Yeah, and then the water is pretty clear. Yeah, um, it really is. It's, it, it's kind of what in Missouri we'd call a high mountain lake almost, you know, yeah. almost like Table Rock, up yep. up in the hills. But the sweet thing about it is, man, it's way out in the middle of that national forest. I mean, you you feel like you're at the end of the earth. It's a, it's a beautiful lake. I've actually caught some good fish out there and have teal hunted over there a few times. But we're looking forward to uh, – we did a little road trip the other day and went all the way to the lake. There was – I think we counted four campers, and there's like – 300 uh, camping units there, so there's lots of space. I just hope we find a good one that's got electric so we can have there you go. a little air conditioning, you know, mm-hmm. live the good life. But a great thing about the U.S. Forest Service, any, any federal recreation site, there's a thing you can get called America the Beautiful. It's an annual pass. I think I paid 80 bucks for this, and I, I can go to any of the uh, federal recreation sites and get a discount, and I think – if I had in my old age too, I might get some free time. Yep, yep, <laughs> yeah. I've seen those before. That's pretty cool. Hey, they're they're well worth the money, particularly if you know. I, I make fly fishing trips a lot, and a lot of our fly fishing waters in the state of Missouri are on U.S. Forest Service lands. Mm-hmm. So, hey, I look for a uh, if I'm going to go to a campground, uh, I can use this card. Most often, I just wind up, you know, on U.S. Forest Service land, you can camp anywhere as long as yeah. it's not restricted, you know, buildings and that, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. But I, many a time, I'll pull off on a gravel road in U.S. Forest Service lands, and I look for old uh, deer camp sites. Yeah. They're already kind of cleared out, set up, and if you're real lucky, there's some leftover firewood there. <laughs> Cheaper than going to a hotel. <laughs> oh, my goodness, yeah. I try to avoid that kind of thing. And uh, in my travels over the years, I always keep uh, – if I'm traveling, like going to Tennessee or Kentucky or Mississippi or wherever, I keep a just a little tarp and some cooking gear in my pickup yeah. truck. And sometimes I'm driving, you know, late at night, and I get to where I can't go anymore. If I'm in Forest Service land, I look for one of those sites, pull over, and I can't tell you how many nights I've slept with the drop the tailgate of my truck, stick a cot under that, yep, little tarp. There you go, sleep a night. <laughs> Good, good, good way to go, man. But uh, hey, what's the next out thing, outdoor thing you're going to do besides walk down and check on your food plots? <laughs> um, well, me, I'm gonna probably it's going to be dove season and then uh, and then teal. Oh, About, do you teal hunt? I yeah, didn't yeah, we teal hunt. 
we have uh, <clears throat> some places that we dove hunt, and uh, one's a uh, privately owned, and we hunt that. It's an eighty acre farm uh, up in St. Charles, and um, the front part is the part that we have managed for the doves, with a two to three acre area of sunflowers. Wow! Um, and then the back half, um, actually, it's still well, both halves you could hunt teal on um but the front half is all wrp except that front part that we do the sunflowers in and uh in case we ever wanted to build we kept it out of a wrp and then uh-huh. and then there's a habitat mound that the conservation put in for us and we usually hunt the teal off of that um and then the corners of those fields along the levees and stuff where the water's a little deeper when we flood um so Kind of do both of those at the same time, just about. Um, but sound like a grand setup. Oh yeah, it's fun. And then, <laughs> and then, um, <clears throat> I know my my dad right now. He's getting ready. He just was doing a lot of work to that farm to cut some brush down and and make it to where we would be able to have some spots to sit behind some stuff and for dove and teal and cutting the areas that we want to knock the grass down. Um, the millet and stuff that's out there so that we, we could have an open hole water to hunt out of. And when we drop the duck, you don't have, you don't have to worry about losing them in the tall right. grass. Right. And then, uh, that's we always a concern. He's down in the South our Southeast property right now doing one as well. And then we lease another one that's actually in Maryland Heights and we have to get a permit, um, to hunt it. Um, but it is, that's one of the best dove hunting fields I've ever been able to hunt. So. Sound like a grand spot. But just as a reminder, folks, if you're going to get out and teal or dove hunt, waterfowl hunt, uh, for you younger folks, you've got to have a Missouri hunting license. Mm-hmm. You've got to have a migratory bird card, mm-hmm. six bucks. Also got to have a federal duck stamp. Get those at the yep. post office. I sent my uh, good Mexican friend of mine to the post office to get his a few years ago, and it was 25 bucks. He was kind of throwing a fit about it. He said, my goodness, 25 bucks? He said, when I get through duck hunting with this, can I send postage with it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, now it's now I think they're even a little bit more than that. I think so. But, but it's been a long time since they've raised the prices yeah, on a duck stamp. Yeah. And I, I usually buy my small game, too, with all that, just in case, you know. So right, right. Well, even though I, I'm old enough, I don't have to have the hunting license anymore. I still have to, us old folks still have to buy the federal duck stamp and that migratory bird card. But, hey, yep. they, they go for great things. But, hey, we encourage you to get out there and enjoy the outdoor. Hunter Hyman and I, Bill Cooper, we, we spend our lifetimes, man, enjoying the outdoors and living our dreams. And you know what? We're sitting here making plans <laughs> to, to live the dream a little bit more. Thanks for listening. I'm Bill Cooper. Captain Brian Wilson runs one of the tightest boat fishing operations in the business. Stainwater Boat Fishing operates out of Jerome, Missouri and the beautiful Missouri Ozarks. They cover most Ozark streams and lakes. You haven't lived until you've searched Ozark waters during the night with Stainwater Boat Fishing while looking for giant gar, carp, and buffalo. Captain Wilson also runs a second boat on Tanicomo Lake. Call today to book a trip with Stainwater Boat Fishing at 573 573- 263-8016. Again, that's 573-263-8016. Be sure and shoot straight.
The Live in the Dream Outdoors podcast is brought to you by Live in the Dream Outdoor Properties, The Fly Rod Journals, SmokerBuilder.com, Cowtown USA, Westover Farms, Scenic Rivers Taxidermy, Stained Water Bow Fishing, Scenic Rivers Guide Service and Tours, Huzzah Valley Resort, Pico Lures, Devil's Backbone Outfitters, The Fallen Outdoors, Ledco Sinkers and Lure Company, Turnbow Outdoors, J&J Charters, Kaufman Cove, Alaska, Big Ed's Guide Service, Bean Creek Game Calls, Misty Mountain Guide Service, ASO Guides and Outfitters with Ryan Walker, On the Hook TV, and Rich's Famous Burgers. Land ownership is the American dream. Land is the basis of all life. Our wise use of this most precious of resources ensures the survival and growth of free institutions and our American way of life. At Living the Dream Outdoor Properties, we value the traditions and freedoms that land provides us. Every day we seek the solace of a mountain sunrise over traffic jams and smog, the calming silence of a bubbling stream over the sirens of the city, and the quiet of the countryside over the hustle and bustle of the world. We hunt, we fish, we farm, we live off the land. It's our mission to help our clients live out their dreams on the land as we do. At Living the Dream Outdoor Properties, we believe that it's not just land, it's a lifestyle. Join us five days a week on Living the Dream Outdoor Podcast as the Living the Dream Outdoor Dream Team explores the most desired outdoor properties in the Midwest and whisks you away to incredible hunting, fishing, and outdoor recreation opportunities. Host Bill Cooper, an inductee of the National Freshwater Fishing Hall of Fame, will be joined by members of the Living the Dream Outdoors team each week as they tell tall tales, unveil tips and tactics, and rub elbows with some of the biggest names in the outdoor world. You'll also find the Living the Dream Outdoors podcast on your favorite social media platforms, including Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok.